Tom, are you okay? I lost her. Her? She was going to be this epic, trilogy-worthy character. I was going to be the hottest writer in Hollywood. But I can't get past Act 1! You need some writer's group therapy. Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are in. And if you like this episode, make sure you subscribe, share it with your friends, give us a really great rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online at writersgrouptherapy.com, also on Twitter and Instagram at WGTherapy individually. I'm Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter and Tom Loveman on Instagram. And I am at Roshni Lamino on Instagram and Twitter. And we are nearing the end of 2020. We've made it to the end of the year. <laughs> We've survived. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a year. It's been a busy year, though, you know, for, for spending so much time at home. I've, I've done a lot, you know. How about you? You've, yeah, you've same, which is kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. And we have a very busy guest today, uh, Stephen Smith. He's been on our show a couple of times. He is with us again. Hello, Stephen. Hello to both of you. Happy almost end of 2020. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we're, we're Stevens here just to kind of hang out with us and talk about what's been going on. Uh, we, he has a project he's going to talk about in a little bit, but we just love having him on so much. We thought we'd have him join us for our end of the year wrap up. I am honored. Thank you, <laughs> especially especially given all the great guests you have had in recent weeks. I'm just uh, I'm I'm just so impressed with uh, with your show. It's fantastic. Oh well, thank, thank you. you, and thank we definitely you. count you among one of those great guests, oh, which is why thanks. we keep having you on. <laughs> thanks. So, what a year! Uh, I, I figured we start off with just um, you know, like, what did you accomplish this year? What are you happy about accomplishing? My biggest thing was I um, I'm about ready to soft launch my video game that I've been working on for a year now called Wordcursion. Uh, it's going to soft launch in other countries, not the U.S., but in another month or so, and then hopefully, if everything goes well, we'll launch in the U.S. So I have my first video game launching. That's my big win of the year. How about you, Roshni? I was just thinking too. So I've been beta testing Tom's game and I asked him when he said, oh, it's going to launch over in Europe. I said, so are you using a European dictionary or an American one? Because they have different slang. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. We're using the dictionary (laughs) the programmers put in it. I didn't actually (laughs) pick the dictionary, but... It's going to be launched in English-speaking countries, of course. It's going to, uh, like Canada, uh, UK, Denmark, uh, Australia, New Zealand, I think are launch countries. I, I've just been kind of learning. I've never launched a game before, and my developer has launched several games, so he's kind of coaching me on what to do. And he, he said, for the soft launch, go to these other countries because they're representative of kind of the market in the U.S., and we'll give you a good feedback on you know usability, retention, that kind of stuff. And actually, I did the research because when he said Denmark, I was like, Denmark? Yeah, uh, they teach the kids at a young age to speak English there, and about 90% of the country speaks English. Oh, wow. That's cool. Do you have an idea of when the launch will be? Uh, I don't want to jinx myself, but um, we're looking at the soft launch hopefully in this week, possibly. Oh, my gosh. I've got pretty much everything ready to go. I have to check with my – I've got a marketing company helping with marketing on Facebook and Instagram and that kind of stuff to – and Google to get the uh, users to download the game. Uh, so w- once we have that plan all in place, then we can go. I'm pretty much ready. To, yeah. That's I mean, amazing. there's still bugs to fix, but the soft launch is where you try to figure all that out. So that's pretty exciting for me. I've, I've really spent a lot of time and money on that. So I'm happy to have it launching soon. 
Uh, for our European listeners. Yeah, if you do want to learn about my game, uh, wordcursion.com is the address. We'll put it in the notes um, so you can kind of get a preview of it. So what cool. do you, What's your big thing for the year, Rosh? Well, I was a bit of an overachiever when lockdown <laughs> happened, and I wrote my first novel, a fantasy novel. Ooh, wow. Thank you. Which is really funny because, so if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know I'm mostly a comedy writer and a rom-com person. And then I write a fantasy novel. but I mean, fantasy is pretty much like all I read. So it made sense, but it was kind of like, I don't know, out of genre for me to write it. But it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Tom was actually one of my beta readers. So uh, again, I don't want to jinx myself, but I'm looking at January for the launch. That is amazing, Roshni. You know, I, a friend of mine likes to say a professional is someone who finishes. And the fact that you not only wrote a book, but finished it this year and you are getting ready to put it out there is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. High praise indeed from someone who published. <laughs> I got to read it several times, so I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very excited for it to go out, too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, Tom was very patient. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to write the screenplay. So, um, hey, why not? <laughs> Steven, you've been busy this year, too. What's uh, What was your, your big book of the year, your big project of the year? <laughs> well, my, my, my big book of the year was the book that I wrote. I've been working for five years on a biography of the man who probably did more than anybody else to, to put together film music as we know it uh, at the dawn of the sound era, Max Steiner, who scored... King Kong and Casablanca and The Searchers and White Heat and Treasure of the Sierra Madre and Mildred Pierce and literally about 250 other movies. And he had this great, colorful, crazy life that was like one of the Warner Brothers biopics he would have scored. So I not only got to tell a book about how, write a book about how an industry, Hollywood, how it changed so completely with sound and the idea of putting music under dialogue and how it was done, but also get to know this incredibly three-dimensional, flawed, brilliant, funny, slightly tragic man who lived a very, very full 83 years and try to tell it the way, uh, tell it in a way that was, of course, accurate and well-researched, but with the the energy of a novel, let's say, while being totally factual. And I was very lucky because the book was published just under the wire of that thing that happened this year, uh, <laughs> the thing I will not name, the thing that made us all stop uh, going outside. But uh, yeah. <laughs> But the uh, the book, uh, which is published by Oxford, was finished, and so I was able to start promoting it. And instead of going into libraries and bookstores where I might get thirty people if I was lucky, uh, the the whole campaign of of marketing changed into a virtual one. And while I certainly would give anything to have changed the horrible, tragic miserable events of this year that one of the silver linings uh, was that I started giving webinars and meeting people around the world so that people would be tuning in from England or Australia or you know all over the place and as a result I may have made a lot of friends hopefully I've sold some books and uh, I've got a sort of continuing uh, professional relationship with one of those outlets and now I'm I'm uh, not just promoting the the Max Steiner book but I'm doing talks on filmmakers that I've made documentaries about in the past and doing other topics uh, I have one upcoming that is about a, a famous writer that's just about writing which is which made me think of both of you. And uh, so so it's really been, it, it's the classic, uh, you think things are going to go one way and then the plot twists and it goes in a whole other direction. But professionally for me, I was very lucky that we have computers and that we have this way just as we are right now speaking to each other. That's so cool. Yeah. This year obviously kept us out of the movie theaters for the most part. 
So I did a lot of streaming this year. This is a big year for streaming for me. And I was thinking about like, what were my favorite streamers this year? What were my favorite things to watch on streaming? And so my top picks, actually, this is before um, lockdown happened. Uh, I really enjoyed The Witcher was a great show. Um, That was a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And um, I'd say um, the second best thing I watched, it was actually like a collection because I got a free month of HBO Max when it launched. I, I binge watched the Ghibli Studios like film collection was all on there. And Whoa. that's um, one of the big uh, classic Japanese anime animation companies. And they're such brilliant movies. They were all, I mean, I, I was just in heaven for like a month. I watched, <laughs> I watched like 20 movies in their collection, at least. And they were all just fantastic. So how about uh, how about you, Stephen? Have you uh, binged anything interesting well, this year? I've binged, and you know, some of my picks would be very familiar ones, like The Queen's Gambit, which really blew me away. So good, right? I I just did not expect it to be as compelling as, say, a thriller. Even though, if you and if you, it's the classic example of if you wrote out what that plot was in a paragraph, <laughs> you would <laughs> very few people would tune in. But the combination of the writing, the direction, the acting, the production design, a great score, and mm-hmm. just the right length you know this kind of anything can be any length now which i love and that was what six or seven episodes and they varied as things often do i think between 45 minutes and an hour so they weren't really locked into that old school rigid format and i just thought the storytelling breathed but always had forward momentum so that's my obvious choice the the choice uh the 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 network, the new streaming platform that surprised me the most was Apple TV, which I got free simply because my iPad died and I had to buy another one. And suddenly I had <laughs> Apple TV. So we Aww. thought, well, let's watch something. And there was a series called Tehran. And I hope it mm-hmm. is ongoing, like like everything. It's sort of a question mark. And to me, it was a really really smart international thriller in the vein of Homeland, which I often liked very much, but which I thought swung a little too too far too wide and went for the fences and sometimes uh, broke a billboard on the way. And Tehran <laughs> managed to be in maybe nine episodes of, of what I hope is a season one to be followed because it, it has something of a resolution, but definitely a, a, an opening to keep going. It told a really compelling story of basically one country planning to go into another very hostile country, shut down the power grid so that an attack can happen. And uh, and I won't say more than that, except that you, you go in thinking you know who the good guys and the bad guys are, but through excellent writing, the people on the quote-unquote bad side, you see all of their humanity and uh, the reasons they do things. And it reminded me of that great old line that the film director Jean Renoir has in his movie of 1939, The Rules of the Game. And uh, he's actually not only the the director and I think co-writer of the film, but he's in the movie and he's railing about how complicated life is and his character says everybody has their reasons and that became uh, a lot of film writers you know uh, summation of what made Jean Renoir great and I think it is a good thing for us all to remember as writers is that no matter how evil we think people are or misguided everyone has their reasons so Tehran mm-hmm. was a great example of, of thrusting you into an exciting thriller and then having you feel very mixed emotions and, and conflicted feelings when two people drew guns on the opposite side of a door. Yeah. Wow. Apple TV really did have some uh, some interesting stuff this year. I, I really like their uh, For All Mankind, the space one. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Home Before Dark was an interesting like thriller. Yeah. And, and I like the fact that, that the things they did were risky often. You know, they were unusual. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely were not typical of things you would see on other streamers. They definitely tried to, you know, kind of set their own bar, kind of. How about you, Roshni? I know you're not as big a, a couch potato as, as I am. <laughs> and I am. Let's just say it. Me too. That's the polite way of saying, for an actor, you don't watch too much TV. Well, you know what's funny is... um. I did watch uh, The Witcher, but that was pre-pandemic. We finished up um, His Dark Materials and Queen's Gambit. That was good. But what was really interesting was, so I spent a lot of time on Discord, just like being in different communities. And so one of the communities has a movie night. And so I got to watch a lot of foreign films. And I really, and I know this one's a little bit older, but along with The Gods and its sequel, they're uh, Korean fantasy films. Amazing. And I really, I'm like, when mm-hmm. are you going to have three and four come out? But I don't know when they'll start filming those. Really, really good. And I, it was yeah, just really I interesting. I still haven't seen the second one. Yeah. Oh, go see it. No, I love the first yeah. one, but I, I haven't seen the second one yet. Go see it where? <laughs> go Online. See it. Like, Online. Like, like leave my house. When you say go, I think of going outside. It's like, what does that mean? Outside. <laughs> Stay home and see it is what I mean. It's online. Stay home and see it. Yeah, I have to find it. Seen. Yeah. Uh, I think it's on, Am- I think both of them are on Amazon Prime. Because I bought oh, the first okay. one. Yeah. Ah, but it's really, cool. it, Tom and I talked about this too when I saw it. It's just so interesting to see how other countries approach filmmaking and the kinds of stories that resonate with them, you know, because yes. like I think Americans, like we have a lot of like bravado and always a happy ending. And I don't know, it was a dark movie in some places, but it was really like thoughtful. So I don't know. That was my yeah, year of discovery. Yeah. <laughs> My international watching has expanded quite a bit with um, Korean and Japanese films and TV shows. Um, there's a great uh, film on Netflix now called Sputnik, which is a, a Russian sci-fi film. And, you know, that kind of film, along with uh, Crash Landing on You, which is a Korean drama, you know, these kinds of shows give you cultural, you know, you know viewpoints that you couldn't get from a show that's set in the U.S. It's not like you could take either of those shows and set them in the U.S. like just make a like a the office like make a version of it here right. and have the same context and the same you know drama and, and and the same conflict because it's a totally different culture in the way they 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 do everything. So yeah, so it gave me yeah having a little extra time to explore that stuff has been been helpful. And that just reminded me, by the way, that there is a great series that my wife and I just love that is a Danish series that's on Netflix. And it was made several years ago, but it's sort of taken off around the world and in the US. I think they're going to make a new season of it now. It's called Borgen, B-O-R-G-E-N, Borgen. And it's sort of, I would say it's a Danish West Wing, except that, and which doesn't sound very exciting, but just as the Queen's Gambit was a surprisingly, you know, riveting story about well, sort of about chess, this is a really, really compelling, I won't call it a political thriller, but a political drama that really, because you care so much about the people involved, and sometimes things, bad things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen, but it really pulls you into the storytelling, and because the world is similar to ours, but different enough, it's it's really a very uh, compelling TV, and there are three seasons of it on Netflix. So if people need to binge something and they want to see an alternate universe from our <laughs> politics of the last few years, I highly recommend Borgen. Yeah, and I will say right now for anybody listening, Stephen has really good taste in TV and films. Every recommendation you give us is amazing. So go watch whatever he's. We all have our own sure. good taste. We 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 all <laughs> like what we like, and and nobody's wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I will say the things you recommend have always been really great to watch. So oh, good. Yeah. So thank you. 
So since we are nearing the end of 2020, what do you think is going to happen for 2021 for entertainment in general? Obviously, live theater right now is closed. Movie theaters everywhere are closed events. But what do you think will happen trend wise or entertainment wise next year? Oh, I mean, everybody's up in arms right now because Warner Brothers announced they're releasing their entire movie slate on their streaming platform. I mean, that's a huge thing that's still working itself out in the marketplace. Like, literally, there's people threatening lawsuits about it. Okay, can I just say something? Uh, This, I just, actually, we were talking about this before we got on the podcast. In regards to the HBO Max thing, so apparently, not only are they charging you for the subscription, but eventually, because the launch wasn't as successful as they hoped, they're also going to start showing ads. So, okay, so we're all going to pay for streaming and see ads? What was the point of that? We might as well have network TV again. Yes. And it should be pointed out that many of the filmmakers who had made major, major hundreds of millions of dollars, major films for Warner Brothers learned 30 minutes before the announcement. In other words, they were not consulted about this. And that just blows my mind because contractually, those people have deals that are based on theatrical earnings and all sorts of of, of measures that the uh, owners of Warner Brothers just threw out the window and completely disregarded in making this announcement. And and, and there have been some on-the-record comments from them about, well, we're really sorry the filmmakers feel that way, but sometimes you have to be a disruptor. But I am sure that uh, the lawsuits are already going because that was a big thing. And it also alienated a lot of major talent. And one could say, well, if you want to make a $200 million movie, there are only so many places you can go. But I, I think that could have been handled so so much better <laughs> than it was. Yeah, the, I think the DGA is looking into a lawsuit possibly. The Directors Guild. But then you could also argue, for example, AMC said they will probably run out of money by January of 2021. So where would the movies go? Yeah, I think that those mainstream, those chains that had 20 screens, you know, are, are in big trouble. I think that now that the genie is out of the bottle and and this is sort of like it's sort of like department stores that were struggling pre-pandemic movie theaters were struggling before all of this. I think people will always go out to the movies, but I think that we've gotten so used to comfortable couches and reasonably good sized TVs with good sound and, uh, you know, high ticket prices and all those factors. And, and there will still be like the James Bond movies and the Star Wars or Marvel movies, DC people will go out to. But I think that the movies that are not those kind of event movies are going to find more and more of a home uh, on our home screens. I don't know. What do you think? You know, one thing that's interesting is in the beginning of the pandemic, I feel like there were a lot of trends like if you write animation, quick, you know, now you're a hot commodity, (laughs) you know, live action won't be filming forever. Try to do a movie that's based all on Zoom or a contained script or whatever. (laughs) And I think for a very brief window in the summer, it was popular. But now things are filming again and they're live action and they're just like what we saw before the pandemic. I don't see an uptick in animation or in animated projects. I don't know. I mean, is it just we have our head in the sand and we're like, hey, we're out of the woods so we can go do live action again? Or is it just we don't want to take a chance on an unknown commodity? Like, I'd be curious, you know? Well, I think the old words that the screenwriter William Goldman, who wrote uh, The Princess Bride and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, he was, he's was he been quoted thousands of times for his three-word phrase, nobody knows anything <laughs> when it comes to Hollywood. <laughs> it's and so it's all true. And, 
and that's more true than ever because we don't even know what the world is going to be like. You know, we don't know what I, I yeah. think about people, uh, convention centers not being used as much because people can zoom more, which means fewer hotel rooms being booked, which means less air travel. I mean, this is going to be so seismic. Uh, it, it will be very interesting to see. And of course, entertain. The good news is that entertainment will never go away as long as as you know the human race <laughs> exists yeah. and the Dis disney slate for disney plus is just so uh i was gonna say ambitious epic. maybe <laughs> epic is the better word for it yeah, truly epic like what 50 new series you know something like that wow. yeah I, I watched most of that uh streaming event they did wow. i mean i think it's 10 star wars 10 uh, uh marvel. 10 marvel shows yeah the disney side the pixar side Basically, every prince, princess who hasn't had her own show yet is getting a show. Yes, and lots of sequels and prequels. Sequel, oh, <laughs> so many sequels and prequels. But uh, yeah, the the future is Disney. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and but they did also show Hamilton, which was not in their usual wheelhouse, and it worked. Yeah. Uh, it, that was a triumph for them because it got people like me to sign up, and uh, you know, and then watch the Mandalorian and think. And I really, really like the Mandalorian. So you know, I I think everybody's going to be figuring it out, and that could be. I just for the moment want to say that, that could be a good thing because people will will be maybe open to new ideas or that there'll be different media for the the things that you create tom and roshani and, and others i do think that perhaps um and i'm saying this now from an actor's perspective i think we will see the rise of more diy projects just because pre-covid you know you didn't have to have a professional recording booth if you were voiceover you didn't have to have a professional home studio set up if you were an actor but now because we're doing self-tapes Everything's at home. You know, any vocal work I do is at home. They do want you to have high quality stuff. I mean, you're spending thousands of dollars on your equipment. Right. So you might as well create something with it if you have it. <laughs> so I yeah. feel like kind of remember like YouTube's early days where like everyone was creating and it was all random content, but it was kind of fun. I sort mm -hmm. of feel like the pendulum might swing and we might go back to that a little bit. What do you guys think? Tom? Oh, my brain just totally went blank. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a perfectly valid reaction because, no, I, 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 yeah, you know, I feel like the, it's like if we had one of those old, old etch, etch sketch things, we were just erasing it and we're kind of starting over. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, people, we, we all know we have so many choices for entertainment and, uh, you know, Quib this was the year that Quibi was born and went away and died at the same time. And they were saying, well, people didn't, we're not, didn't have, they weren't traveling, so they didn't want to watch five-minute entertainment. And I kind of thought, I don't know. I still watch five-minute entertainment all the time on YouTube because when I'm home, it's mm -hmm. just that maybe the content wasn't right. Maybe the way they you know, sold it wasn't right. But I think that you're going to find everything from really short, uh, grabby content from people we haven't heard of to obviously the big blockbusters. Disney's yeah. made it clear that they're going to be doing you know, more of same and, and by, I hope well. And then hopefully there's that fascinating middle ground where, where things, where original stories could be sold to a Hulu or you know, Apple Plus or whoever that wants to take a chance because with so many different platforms out there, they are all fighting to differentiate themselves. I mean, HBO Max, obviously, they all, they sort of threw a grenade in it all by going, okay, <laughs> nothing's working yet. Let's just put all the big movies on. <laughs> oh my word, yeah. Well, and, and entertainment in general, the entertainment industry has so much more competition these days. I mean, I've spent a lot more time uh, recently on YouTube and on Twitch, actually, I spend. I, I have uh, several people I follow on Twitch. In fact, I was watching one one of my favorite um, 
Twitch broadcasters. And they had, I think, I want to say 30,000 people watching her play whatever game she was playing. I think it was Fortnite or something. And it's, I'm just, I just looked at that for a second. I'm like, 30,000 people. I mean, that's not, that's not like hundreds of thousands or millions, but this is, you know, basically a professional video game player being watched as entertainment. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just another chunk of the, the, the entertainment audience that's chopped off of the big, you know, theatrical movie release, you know, you know, audience that the, the smaller and smaller bits that people are getting um, for their TV shows. I mean, I still remember the 50 million viewers a week watching, you know, the Cosby show when I was a kid. Not that anyone should watch that ever again, but <laughs> you know what I mean? You were so young and innocent. You didn't know. It's fine. I'm, I'm old enough to remember that there were five networks. So, you know, you, <laughs> you divided a couple hundred million people across five networks and you had these huge audiences. And now today, audiences are literally micro audiences and they're monetized. These things, these people are making a living with these, you know, thousands of viewers, basically. So yeah. it's, it's really, you know, we really have a lot of dis- choices on where we put our entertainment money these days and it's not what it used to be obviously no and, and speaking of monetizing one thing that i i predict for 2021 is that because it's been a rough year for so many people financially either being furloughed or you know we know all the things that have, have may have made pocketbooks tight for a lot of this year i think people are really going to be looking for value for money in 2021 and that will definitely mean their entertainment so will they will a family go out and spend 15 dollars a piece for movie tickets in a theater maybe not for a while it's just because you know for for months at least and this could be a lot of 2021 while we're just working our way out of this uh mid mess uh that that i think people are going to be really watching their money and and whether it's gaming or the all the other things we've been discussing some of them are offer really good value for money that's a good point yeah, I'm waiting to make sure my A-list subscription comes back for AMC. Um, they, they keep they keep telling me it's coming back, but they, they keep pushing. They're like, okay, when you come back in December, like, oh, nope, uh, when you come back in March. Uh, so yeah, hopefully, wow. hopefully we'll get back to the theaters eventually. Real yes. quick before we segue, actually, I put this up on my Instagram because I thought it was hilarious. I actually sent this to Tom. I got a, an offer for uh, on my credit card in my email, and it said, you can earn 2% for any movie you buy streaming or in the movie theater. And I'm like, how am I supposed to go to the movie theater right now and earn this credit? What? <laughs> exactly. Who thought this was a good marketing ploy? But yeah. Yeah, I think last November you gave me a, Roshni gave me a, for my birthday, gave me a card for AMC for like, you know, concessions and stuff. And I'm like, I haven't used it. I hope it's still valid. Oh boy. Just, just <laughs> I want, go I want my state. free popcorn. Go to Arizona and buy all the popcorn and come back. Uh, I don't know if anybody's oh. open anymore. So while we're not going out to the movies, we're, uh, we're going to be uh, hopefully uh, writing here again. I've actually started doing some writing with, uh, I, I joined a group called Get It Made, which is a great, um, it's a kind of a, I guess you would call it a, organization kind of a program kind of a coaching mentoring program where you you work on a a proof of concept scripts short scripts so i've been really polishing one five-page script trying to get it really really good so that we can make a short film of it to help go pitch the tv show that it's from so uh so i yeah i'm looking forward to to you know i kind of like focused on just one short little thing and i thought thought that was like a really great thing because you know sometimes you have trouble you know, thinking the big picture, like, like, oh, I'm going to write another feature. And, oh, it's such a big idea. Yeah. 
you know, uh, maybe I should uh, come to this uh, webinar you're having um, this week. Well, Steven. I don't want to provide any distractions from the writing you're doing. I always think it's good, <laughs> but I also think it's good to take a break. And that it's, yeah, thank you for mentioning that, uh, Tom and Roshni. I, I mentioned earlier that my book promotion turned into a lot of webinars. The webinars uh, I've, I'm now giving on a lot of different topics. And there's one group, if I can mention, that I really, really love working with. And they've been very successful. It's called New York Adventure Club. And yes, it's based in New York. And it was a boots on the ground, people walking around giving tours in New York organization until COVID. And then it went virtual. And now they give these fantastic webinars, four or five a day. And they get their like picks in the New York Times for best thing to do today. And they've been fantastic about inviting me to talk about subjects that interest me. And the one I'm doing uh, on December the 23rd, this upcoming December the 23rd, is on writing. And it's about a writer, the world's most famous writer, who had a flop, who was hated by a large part of his audience, and had to figure out a way to dig himself out from the, the, the deep hole he was in and came back with his biggest success. And that was Charles Dickens. Uh, the year was 1843, and the book that got him out of trouble was A Christmas Carol, which is why I'm telling it on December 23rd. Ah, and cool. I, I've always been fascinated with the fact that Dickens, who we think of as one of those guys from 200 years ago who wrote those really giant telephone-sized books uh, that we don't read as often as, as they used to, uh, he was actually the Steven Spielberg of his day. You know, He was the entertainer for the masses, and he also had this passionate social conscience where he looked at his time and said, there's a lot that's wrong here, and don't wait for somebody else to do it. We have to fix it. And he did it in such an entertaining way that he had the best of both worlds, that he could be this like successful social activist and a brilliant entertaining writer. And uh, so that's what I'm going to be talking about uh, with New York Adventure Club. And if you sign up by the 23rd, uh, when I give it, you can watch it for seven days afterwards. And and I just wanted to say briefly that you know Dickens was in his 20s when he first had his first big success. He had some huge best-selling novels. Then he wrote a book that was very critical of America. He thought America was going to be the best place in the world. And he lived in Britain and he thought, oh, we're so corrupt and messed up in Britain and in America. It's a new country and they're doing it all right. He went and <laughs> he encountered slavery and every politician he met through up to the White House was like spitting in the spittoon while they talked to him. And he just thought people were, and they talked about money even more than they did in Britain. And, and he just, it, like too many idealists, he was really discouraged by what he found in America. And then he went home and he wrote a book kind of making fun of America. And he was hated in America. He went from being like the most beloved uh, figure in the world to someone they wanted to tar and feather. And Dickens was really, and the people in Britain didn't like that book very much either. So he didn't know what to do. And he was invited to a conference that all the big, kind of like the Bill Gates or Richard Branson conference where he gets all the big people together to exchange ideas. They had one of those in England. And Dickens, who had grown up in absolute poverty, he was a street kids. He was a total self-made man. Uh, he was invited to this conference and he was really upset about child labor in Britain. The fact that young children were being used in tunnels and doing horrible jobs, you know, just, just what we think of as there's a reason Dickensian is an adjective and it, one of those meanings means kind of tragic or, or, or stories about poor people. And so he wanted to do something about child labor and the fact that people around him were just ignoring the problems going on, especially the wealthy. And he was going to write a pamphlet. And then suddenly one night he had the idea for a Christmas carol and he came up with Ebenezer Scrooge, who was the guy who is that guy 
guy who says it's not my problem and then is forced therapy-like, writer's group therapy, forced in a <laughs> therapy-like way with ghosts to look at all the choices that, that kind of broke his soul and cut him off from humanity. And Dickens gave, and Dickens came up with this idea in October and he wanted not only the book to be written by Christmas, he wanted it published as its own book six days before Christmas, which was an insane schedule for a guy whose books were published over two years in magazines and then put out of those, those big books. And of course, Christmas Carol is a lot shorter, but in six weeks, he wrote that story, which is, I mean, word perfect. He oversaw, the publishers didn't want to put it out. And so he said, I'm paying for it. And he oversaw the production of this beautiful first edition. So it'd be like going to your favorite movie theater with the good seats. He comes up <laughs> with the most beautiful book and yet he sells it really cheaply so that people have any age can can get it. And it is one of the greatest publishing triumphs in the history of the planet. Uh, it's never gone out of print. Within months, there were, I think, eight stage productions in London alone of that. And there have been over 250 movie and TV adaptations. So, wow. uh, so I love the story about somebody... Uh, who 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 is really just being counted? And boy, the press when Dickens was out was so vicious as they are when anybody has a flop. It's like he is bankrupt creatively and financially. They were saying, which which wasn't true in either case. But he worried that it might be, and he turned it around. And so, what my talk is going to be about is, I hope, a very entertaining, lively discussion in part of of how somebody took what they really cared about and turned that into the thing that saved their own soul. That is amazing. Cool. I was I was wondering when you were gonna get to that. <laughs> I thought you were giving away all the spoilers of your talk. Oh, that's only the first third of it. There's a oh, lot. Oh, okay, good. good. <laughs> well, that sounds cool. I didn't think it was too big a spoiler to say that people read the book. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, uh, if they want to, if they want to attend, what's the website? NewYorkAdventureClub.com. Uh, yeah, go to New York. Yeah, that is it. NewYorkAdventureClub.com. Okay. And uh, they have really fantastic programs on, and their programs aren't just about New York. Some of them are, but they're really about things all over the world. So that's, I do Hollywood talks about filmmakers and film noir and other things, but I had actually written up a proposal to make a documentary of this Dickens story, and uh, it didn't happen for various reasons, but I kept my research, so I put it together for this. And in 2017, a, a, a not very widely seen movie was made called uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas. Oh, and that's the other thing. Christmas was not celebrated as it is today before the book of a Christmas Carol. So we have Dickens to thank or blame for the massive <laughs> Christmas experience. Let's call it the holiday yeah. experience that we have every December. But it's interesting how he changed culture that way too. So anyway, thanks for letting me put in a mention of that. Oh my gosh, no, that sounds amazing. Marketing, it was all good writing, good writing and good marketing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing, I can't think of anything that's been adapted more than that. It's just... I mean, if you go on uh, Hulu right now and look at all their Christmas movies, like ninety mm -hmm. percent of them are all just modern remakes of A Christmas Carol. I've even seen crime heist films that are based on A Christmas Carol. I mean, that is the plot that keeps giving. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing! <laughs> but uh, yeah, and if anybody wants to get in touch with me, uh, I'm uh, mediasteven com with Stephen with a V. So. Great. Well, have a merry Christmas, Stephen. Well, you too, and happy Hanukkah and everything yeah. else, New Year, and uh, let's just try to do as safe uh but as much celebrating as we can and hope yes. that the new year will be a creative one and a safe one for us all yes everyone wear your masks because i want to go back to the movies <laughs> and me too <laughs> here's to an amazing 2021 yes we'll see you guys next year <laughs>